Well, Woody, it's just us again. Darren's in Florida with the Vegas Golden Knights. Hey, hey, don't get excited. He's dressing, but only in a studio uniform to host the Vegas broadcasts like he does every game. Welcome to the In Goal Radio Podcast, episode 206, presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, Langley and thehockeyshop.com. I'm David Hutchison here once again, keeping Darren Millard's seat warm, along with the one and only Kevin Woodley, Woody. Darren isn't practicing with Vegas, but I wonder if he's like you and packed his gear just in case. No, they're going through goalies like crazy. They got a bunch now, right? They got they got Jonathan Quick oh, now. They're good. They do. But but what about Darren Quick? Yeah, I thought maybe they'd go with Darren, but you know. Well, not every general manager is perfect. But uh, what do you think? What do you think about Quickie being there now? What, what what did you think of the trade deadline week or two weeks or whatever it was? I guess for goalies, it was a pretty short one. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of moves with goaltending. It's funny. I talked to Marc-Andre Fleury here um, when Minnesota was in town just a couple of days ago about his experiences post-trade deadline and why maybe we don't see teams invest in goaltending the way they do other positions at the trade deadline. And, you know, he talked about how hard it was in a short period of time to adjust your reads. Again, not to, and we've talked about this before, but not to systems because there are only certain variations and goalies figure it out quick. Like they're you know, systems don't differ enough from team to team that goalies can't figure that out between a trade deadline acquisition and the end of the season. What takes longer to figure out is individual tendencies. And whether that's the calls on puck handling or where a guy's going to go on puck handling or where a guy's going to pressure on an odd man rush, even if the system says take away the pass, where guys like to pressure, how they like to play, who can you trust to be on the right side of a screen, um, who's maybe going to take your eyes away a little more. Everybody has individual tendencies, and we see this in pro reads all the time. As much as I always thought pro reads would be about what opponents are trying to do, how many of these videos that we have up at ingolmag.com over the years with goalies breaking down their saves, they make a read where they talk to us about knowing where their defenseman is, where their defenseman is pressuring, um, counting on the guy to squeeze uh, an opponent off in a certain spot and take away another option. Like Those things matter so much to a goalie's reads, and they're really hard to dial in when you've only got you know 15 to 20. Say there's 20 games after the trade deadline, well, you're not playing all of them. And so I think that's a big part of why goaltending isn't a bigger part of the trade deadline is because it is such a big adjustment and some goalies have struggled with it. And so teams are hesitant to, in a buyer's or in a seller's market, invest a ton of assets in a position they're not sure can figure it out in time for the playoffs. So it kind of comes down to, you know, the teams that are looking are the teams that, you know, I don't want to say desperate, um, but they've got bigger, pretty big questions they need to solve. Anybody who's comfortable with their goaltending, you know, I guess they're less comfortable that they can find an upgrade on the trade market. Even if, even if they maybe you know that goalie is an upgrade overall, can he be an upgrade by the time things matter come the playoffs? That's a bigger question. And we've talked before about how NHL general managers are so risk-averse. If your goalie trade doesn't work, there's not much you can do about it. If your forward doesn't work out, well, put him on the third line and he doesn't see nearly as much ice or, or whatever. So it's a, it's a bit of a risk. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I think you can also do more than just like there's the adjustment. So there's some things you can 
you can do when you're looking to mitigate some of these factors. Like you can look at stats, you can look at, um, you know, how a goalie might fit into your team system. I'll give you an example. Like Jonas Corposalo in general terms has been really good this year, especially since December 9th. Like he was a guy that I had on the top of my trade target list um, for the various media I do around the league and in different cities, because since December 9th, and, and that seems like a fair, you think about the hip surgery he had in the off season, talking to people around him, how much that hip injury sort of limited some of his uh, movements and some of the positions he could get into that we require as goaltenders and how, you know, how freed up he was since the surgery. But it took a little while to adjust to a body that worked properly. And so first couple of months were a little bit hit and miss. He was right around expected his performance relative to the environment. But then after December 9th, like his adjusted numbers are, you know, they're up there uh, top 10 in the league, better than guys like Shesterkin and Nottinger and, you know, so like he's put on a good performance now for pretty close to three months. And if you're the Kings, you know, we're a good defensive team. That That's it, what you got to think if you're the Kings. And that, so in general, any goalie is going to benefit behind our system. Well, honestly, there's only two areas where Jonas Corposalo's numbers were below expected this year. One was breakaways. Okay, well, let's check that against the Los Angeles Kings using ClearSight Analytics. Well, guess who gives up the fewest expected goals in the entire National Hockey League on break? I got an idea. The Los Angeles Kings. So there you go. Jonas Corposalo, one of his biggest statistical weaknesses this year is breakaways, and he's not going to have to worry about that with the Los Angeles Kings. Other one that he struggled with a little bit. Let's be fair. How many has he faced in Columbus? Pretty small sample size, no? No, I mean, mean, like you're... I know I you don't, don't have, have the number. That wasn't me, fair, talking, but you know what I mean. It's a small sample size. I, I think you're talking like you're talking like sixty breakaways. So, oh yeah, don't forget we're not talking blue line in breakaways. They're divided into three or four different categories. You got partial ice. You got giveaways in front of the net that okay. turn into one on one, say below the hash mark. So there's multiple categories, but mano a mano, one on one, partial, clear cut, or even just on giveaways inside the zone. It's an area he struggled. And so it's not something he has to worry about in LA. Screens are another area where he's a little bit below expected. That's an area where the Kings are actually 26 in the NHL. Like as good as they are defensively, they tend to get in the eyes of their own goaltender. That's going to be something that Eunice Corposalo has to adjust to in LA. That's one where you might look at it and go, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to fit. The other part that I think you got to remember is he's never been traded before. And we saw this with Ryan Miller. Talk to me about it when, you know, after that deal to St. Louis. And I think actually the Miller deal to St. Louis became the cautionary tale. For sure. So much was expected. And the adjustment was so big. Adjusting to the reads, a team that wanted to play a different way. Him playing a style at the time um, that had a little more flow, a little more moving part, was a little more rush-based because of what Buffalo used to give up. And all of a sudden, everything's end zone. So I think there are fits, goalie and systems and teams. Um, there are different boxes you can check. And one of them, is having done it before, and Jonas has never done it. And I think you add the pressure of the fact that Jonathan Quick, franchise icon, is the guy you replaced, and that's another layer. So there are a lot of questions that Jonas Corposalo is going to have to answer in terms of almost between the ears as much as between the pipes, because between the pipes, what he faces kind of suits his game. He should be just fine. Between the ears, we don't get to see that. Although I did talk to UC Saros today, and he's friends with Jonas, and yeah, you know, he said if there's anybody who sort of everything is water off a duck's back, that typical finish, you know, don't get too worked up about anything. He thinks Jonas Corposal is going to be able to handle it just. Oh, well. that's good. I think, and I think people underestimate just the difficulty of the social situation for him, walking into a new dressing room and a new one where 
longtime friend has been sent away a little bit unceremoniously. It's uh, fitting into that situation could be difficult for some people, but it sounds like he'll be great. I have another question for you on this. We often also hear on Pro Reads about familiarity with the people who are shooting on the goaltender that you're interviewing and knowing something about their tendencies and knowing something about their team's tendencies. When you're shifting conferences and you haven't faced these guys nearly as much as you have in the past, is that going to be an issue in a, in a short end to the season here? Well, Corpy's been in the league, I think, like eight years, so he's probably seen enough of the guys in the other conference that I think he should be okay. And I, maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating eight years. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, that that can definitely be an adjustment. Um, you know who it's not going to be an adjustment for? Jonathan Quinn. <laughs> he's been around a while. Because <laughs> the flip side of that one. Um, Man, like I think everybody in the NHL that covers the NHL is dreaming for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Los Angeles King matchup in the playoffs. Just so we get we talk about a guy knowing the tendency of the shooters that are going at him, Jonathan Quick against his old team. Because after the Corpusalo deal, and like you said, unceremoniously dismissed as Jonathan Quick, the Vegas Golden Knights go out and get him. And statistically, he wouldn't have been the next guy on my list if I was looking for goaltending help. That would have been Kevin Lankinen who is quietly having an exceptional season, has made some nice changes to his game uh, under Ben Vanderklok with the National Predators. I got to see them work really hard on an off day here way back in November. You could see the work that was going into it, and it's really paid off. Lankinen, despite not playing that often, has played really well. I thought he, as a UFA, pending UFA, would be an attractive target for a lot of teams. Obviously, Nashville liked what they're giving him because they re-upped him for another year, and he's been really, really good there. Um, Nashville, along with the New York Islanders and Boston Bruins, have one of the top three tandems in the league. I think Lankinen gets overlooked because UC Pitt plays so much ahead of him. Uh, but that's a guy, if I was another team, I would have targeted. Statistically, Quick's having a tough year. Like His save percentage is a full four points below expected. Um, and to put that in context, like people are like, well, what does that mean? It means on every 100 shots, he gives up four more goals than you would expect. And if you considered... 25 shots a game average that's a goal Which a game is a ton below expected Which is a ton that's a that's a lot that said man like i mean the track record the knowledge the experience we saw what he did last year wasn't great either when we looked at the adjusted numbers i know a lot of people thought of last year as a bounce back but the adjusted numbers painted a picture that made it seem more like the king's system was responsible for a large share of the you know raw save percentage bounce back and but then in the playoffs he was fine. So um, you know I, I think you can't underestimate what that experience means come playoff time. Even if statistically he would have been well down the list of of guys you would have thought, hey, this is an upgrade. And if you're Vegas, you know Logan Thompson is a great story, but he's out for a while. Loren Brassois was on a heater his first three games back. Get called up, um, was playing exceptionally well. He's out probably three weeks, maybe longer. Although, again, if he can come back for the playoffs, it's not like they've said, hey, we got Jonathan Quick and he's our guy. Um, there's, a, there's an opportunity here for any one of those guys to get back, show they can be healthy and in form and take that come playoff time. And I got to be honest with you, the way he played in those three games before the injury, I like Loren Brassois' chances uh, of still maybe being the guy in Vegas when the shots matter the most come playoff time because he looked, he looked dialed in those three games. It was it was really nice to see knowing everything he's been through to get back to that point. Just a reminder, we'll be getting to our feature interview uh, soon. 
presented by Sense Arena Virtual Reality Training for Goalies. And uh, here at the Ingle Radio Podcast, presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Langley. But first, Kevin, goalie goals. How excited were you? Because you didn't just see the replays on Instagram that everybody else saw. You were there. I was there, and I just spent the previous two ga- days with Linus Allmark. Well, two of the previous three days. spent uh, Went down to Seattle, spent a little time with uh, Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark after a practice day in Seattle. Uh, then came back up here, spent a practice day with them. We did the Pro Reads video with Linus Allmark. So for In Goal Magazine premium subscribers, make sure you go check out. We got two up already with Linus, breaking down and a video. Drill, so three Linus Allmark articles. Yeah, we got the Pro Drills as well with him and Swayman doing a little low-high work. But then, to like talk about your In Goal bump, two days with Woody and you get, you get, an, you get an empty net goal. And so... so He's now the eighth goalie in NHL history to shoot a puck into a net. I know there's other goalies that have credit, last guy to touch it stuff, but eight goalies have shot a puck into the net. I've now seen two of them. I'm 25% for, good. for goalie goals in the NHL. I have Jenny Nabokov in 2003 and Linus Allmark a couple of weeks ago, and I got to say the Allmark shot might have been the best I've ever seen. Like, just launched three, four checkers in his face, barely clears them. But that's because they were like 20 feet away from him. Puts it over their head. Lands it at the far hash mark. Perfectly flat. Dead center. Perfect shot. Super excited to see it, obviously, in person. And then to get to talk to him in the room a little bit after. Uh, ask him some questions, both of the camera running. Everyone has probably seen the scrum. Um, and, yeah, and, and if you did, you can probably recognize my voice with a couple of those questions. But then a little, you know, just shoot the breeze afterwards, me and him. And it's funny because everybody knows he just missed at the, at the uh, winter classic. He said, if he'd hit at the winter classic on that stage, if he'd scored an empty net goal, he might've just skated up the ice. And retired. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be something I- I'm waiting for the guy who lands it in the net on the fly. Do you think anybody's going to do that's, that? We know somebody who well, guys so, can do it. Yeah, we know, we know guys can do it. I mean, Smitty used to come in here and, and play around at the end of a morning skate and, he damn near would bank it off the bottom of the scoreboard up above. He could launch it so high and so far. Um, yeah, he could probably pick a corner from his <laughs> Can own you imagine? Um, Linus, Linus, the way he chucked that, like he wasn't, he wasn't short of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can see that happening. Like in, and here's the thing. You have to in Vancouver. Not when Nabokov did it in 2003 because it wasn't an issue then. The ice here is so bad. Like, I've had goalies come in here from other teams consistently this season talking about having to change their sharpenings mid-game, especially when it rains in Vancouver. And hey, guess what? It rains a lot in Vancouver. Um, The ice gets so soft that I've had goalies. I've actually had goalies. I'm not going to name anyone, but I've had Canucks goalies over the years, the past couple of years, say, you can't even try for an empty netter here because they don't trust the balance. They just think it's so bad. And so that's what makes Linus's goal that much more special. He had to get it all the way down to the far hash marks. He had to land it perfectly flat because the ice here is so bad. You have that much less margin for error in Vancouver. And for him to nail it the way he did, man, it's, it was just so impressive uh, in every regard. And then, and then we published the first pro reads, and the next night he goes into Edmonton and stops 54 or 57 in an overtime win. Thank you very much. Hand of the Vesna Trophy in goal bump. We love you, Linus Allmark. Thanks for spending the time and uh, happy to provide a bump in return. Hey, NHL goalies listening. You want to get on the podcast. You want to chat with Woody. 
because your chances of scoring a goal are up. Your chances of making 50 plus saves in a win are up. You're going to get the, the in goal bump. Not all of them quite know that though, Woody. So it actually has been a, a little while since our last show. We should just come clean on that now, right? Yeah. Yeah, we should. We apologize to our listeners. We, we haven't been able to, I mean, I think we're, what are we, four years in a hit? We're doing weekly. pretty good. Yeah. We finally missed a week. Yeah. 205 or 206. Not bad. This this is, you know, part of this is just the nature of the beast. We're into, you know, Darren's not here right now. We're all chasing uh, a lot of different things. It's a busy time of the year. Uh, trade deadline accentuated that. It's been hard to get guys. And I got to be honest, like it's it has been hard even in person when guys are at the rink, um, you know, getting 15, 20 minutes to make it a worthwhile interview and not just the usual, you know, 110% cliches that goalies throw out, you know, in a post game or post morning practice. Uh, scrum it's been tough so yeah if you if you are an nhl goalie and i know you listen i know you guys some of you at least listen i know the goalie coaches listen guys hit us up it's been it's been a little tougher last couple weeks to for us to get enough guests to make this happen uh so we apologize for that delay we've been busy too um but you need bumps we need ingle bumps and uh lena's got the ultimate ingle bump um so yeah, we're we're uh, we apologize that it's taken a couple of weeks, but we're we're happy to bring you Freddie Chabot today, uh, a really good goalie coach guy. Devin Dubnik told me about way back in the days in Edmonton about how good this guy was. Got to work with him at Net Three Sixty. Geez, it's been a few years now. Yeah, I you know I I actually wrote out some notes so that because I'm not Darren, I can't do this off the cuff, right? So I wrote, wrote oh some, a proper intro. So I'm ruining well, it. All I have to say is what I how I was going to begin what you're doing right now is to say. Who's on the show this week, Woody? And please restrict your answer to fewer than 50 words or 45 seconds. Can you do that? I can, but I feel like we got to save that now because like, we're talking about the feature interview. We haven't well, we'll done... come back. We'll come back. You're just going to let everybody know what's going on today, and then we're going to head over to the sport sh- hockey shop. So do you want to okay. try that again? Let's, so let's just go port- back. 45, 45 seconds. Here we go. Start the clock. 17 years in the National. 17 years in the National Hockey League as a goalie. As I found out in this interview, came up right as Francois Lair's coming up with the Montreal Canadiens. So a lot of exposure right to the beginning of the butterfly. But Tony Esposito inspired at the beginning for Freddie Chabot. Sometime in Europe, coaching Edmonton Oilers, Minnesota Wild. Um, he's worked with Roly Melanson. Has a great story about working with Bernie Perrant. A drill from Bernie Perrant that so he good. still uses today. There is so much great stuff in this interview from a guy who played in the league for... And, and pro for 17 years, good chunk of it in the league, and is now coaching for a decade. Uh, just a guy that I love to talk to, and I think that everyone's going to enjoy the interview when we get to it. But first, I think we got to go to the hockey shop and tell you how to get skates that are so sharp and so perfect that you too will skate like a pro. That was pretty good. I should have stuck with the 50 words, not the 45 seconds. You took full advantage there, buddy. Okay. I just talked so about So that's the feature interview, which will be coming up later, presented by Sense Arena Virtual Reality Training for Goalies. But you did go spend some time with Cam, as I know you love to do, over at the hockey shop, Source for Sports Langley. Before we get into the gear segment, anything new happening over at the shop? Like, what's you must be loving it these days. Well, we already we, we've showed you some of the new stuff. They still got, like, like you've seen some of the images uh, on their social media account. Um, PX3, lots of different colors, lots of different colorways from the true line. Uh, they've got the Warrior G6 in stock now, right down to junior sizes, including the slide plate. So those are a couple of the, you know, over the past month, uh, 
items that are either new or new in terms of having inventory for everyone. Um, we're into that time of season where there's a lot of new stuff coming in on a, a pretty soon. It'll be on an almost daily basis for some of the new launches, some of the new lines coming out in the spring. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of different options. There's still some leftovers from that Bauer pro return sale that you can have there. Um, a lot of good feedback on, on warrior's new stick with the, the, uh, the specially designed handle. It's not square to sort of help you with the puck handling. We've had a lot of positive feedback there. Um, so yeah, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. Whether it's new or on sale, they've got something that will help you become a better goalie. And I think actually, above all, they've got the expertise to make sure that whatever they put you into will actually help you become a better goalie. They don't just sell you gear because you need new gear. They sell you the gear that's going to work for you. And the only way they're able to do it is because they've got an expert staff like Cam uh, and all the everyone else that works there that actually plays the position, understands the position, and is there to help you play and wear gear that will help you play it better. You're not lying, Woody. I went in one time, wanted to get custom skates for the kid, and Cam talked me out of it. I could have spent a whole lot more money, talked me out of it, said, you don't want to do that. It's a waste of your money right now at his age. Here's what you need to get. You know what? I've seen him do that, and I've talked about this a few times, but I think that's a really good point. Uh, And not to give Cam too much love, because he just got back from Mexico. So I imagine that he's going to have a sunburn on his already bloated head, and I wouldn't want him to, like, you know, peel. Oh, you got to get in there and record this week. I'll bring my camera over so we can really get some good shots of sunburn cam. Well, I, I got to say though, I, I've been in there a bunch of times and watched him work with parents and kids and, you know, Hey, what if I spend this extra $500 on this mask? And he's going to tell you honestly, right? Like that's the thing. It is about gear that works for you and your child. He is not going to oversell you to make a bigger sale. He's going to make sure. And this, this is one of those cases where not only did the kid not need, you know, the more expensive, more protective helmet just because of the level he was facing, but it might not have been safe for him because it wasn't going to fit properly. The sizing wasn't the same. It would have been heavier. And you know, I just, I love that honesty. There are a lot of places you can go where if you're, you're willing, and let's be honest, the position's expensive. And so quite often you go in there with an expectation. And sometimes we can think, hey, if we spend more money, we'll get better stuff. And there are times where that's true. But there are other times where it's unnecessary. And Cam and his crew will give you the honest goods about what you need to spend. Again, whether it's for you or your child, for your game. Um, if it's the highest end pro level gear, they've got it. But if you don't need that, they're going to be honest with you. And they're going to tell you, hey, you'll probably be fine in this option instead. So it's something I respect a lot about the way they run things at the hockey shop. Uh, and about the way Cam handles things when he's on the floor selling you gear. And if you want custom gear, that's how you do it too. You sit down with Cam and he'll walk you through the whole process. It's it's how you get, whether you're looking for CCM, Bauer, True, whatever it might be, Cam's your guy. 100%. Okay. Just a reminder, we're going to have Freddie Chabot from Minnesota in the Sensorina feature interview soon. But before that, uh, Woody's going to head over to the hockey shop. Just a reminder that all these gear segments get presented on our YouTube channel as well. And we would really appreciate it if you would check those videos out, give them a thumbs up, hit subscribe, even leave a comment. Really appreciate the comments from people who've tried the gear and giving us their opinion to sort of flesh out the uh, the review that Cam and Woody do. So please do that. But before that, Woody, well, now I guess we should say, Woody, can you toss us to the gear segment? What do we got? Let's go talk to Cam about how to become a better skater. It's all about skating. We're going to hear that from Freddie Chabot here in a minute. All about skating. Well, guess what? Blade profiling matters for goalies too. It doesn't get talked about enough. 
So we had Cam walk us through some of the custom options, custom blade profiles to help you skate better. So if you ever get the opportunity to be on the ice of Freddie Chabot, you're going to not be as embarrassed as I would be. Over at thehockeyshop.com and the Hockey Shop Langley, we've got Cam and Woody talking about blade profiling. This is the sharpening headquarters. This is where the Cam and Cecil and the crew put in the, the cut. Well, I don't, I don't know. They don't trust Cam. Cam's kind of like me, not allowed to work with power tools. Nope. Um, something about over-unders on hospitals. There's a certification. Yeah. Yeah, Cam's not certified. But he can tell you what type of profile you might like in your skate. So we're going to walk through you here. I mean, there is so much literature out there on goal, or sorry, on player profiles. We want to walk through some of the unique things you can accomplish with a custom goalie skate profile. So Sam, or Sam, 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 one of the names. Yeah. Cam, that's me. Walk me through. Let's start with what I, what comes on my skates when I buy goalie skates. I guess Bauer's starting to put some radius on some of their products, but your typical average, like five, 10 years ago, goalie skate is what type of profile, what type, but it's a 27 foot radius. Very, very close to a 27 foot. So it's not like nothing's like 100% flat. That's, you definitely want to get across. Even goalie skates have a little curvature. Correct, correct. So now say if you're like resetting a blade or you're getting a new blade dressed. So you don't come here, you go somewhere else where some kid grinds the heel and the <laughs> toe off of your skate and ends up looking like a banana and you just want to get back to stock. That's where 27 foot. 27 foot radius. That's how they do it here. So now into the custom profiles. Correct. Uh, one of my favorite ones to recommend, just as a starting point, especially if you haven't had a radius before, is the 2428. Uh, personally, is what I skate on myself. Um, don't let that deter you. No, I know, don't. But uh, in terms of for a recommendation, it's a great place to start to start to get used to profiles. So what that all means is that I am going to be shaving off some of your steel up in the front of your uh, toe of your skate. So that is going to tip you a little bit more onto your toes, a little bit more onto, like, say, the balls of your feet. Um, that way when you're sitting in your stance, you can really feel like you have that first like quarter of your blade connected. So yeah, so I, I have a question. So cause people are like 24, 27 stock, 24, 28, what does that mean? So we're drawing a big circle, drawing a big circle. That's the, and, and so the bigger the number, the sort of less curve there is in there. So on a 24, 28, you've got that 24 foot radius, which has more of a curvature at the front of the skate. Correct. Does it start actually in the middle of the blade? Is that where the, or is it, where does it start on the blade? So exactly. This point of your, your skate is where the actual bar lines up. So 24 foot begins there and to the back, then you get your 28 radius. So a little flatter on the back, a little more curve on the front, subtle. It's not extreme. Correct. Uh, to be honest with you, I had it done on my most recent pair of skates. Noticed a little bit of pitch forward, but think this isn't an extreme thing, but it will help you sort of get on your toes a little bit more in a 24 post transition also find in terms of catching your edge and finding your toe for that push off which can be difficult for some goalies especially with the way that that boot is integrating into the the post now um in terms of refining that toe edge and making sure you get a solid push off i found that this really helped my game in terms of so okay goalie sam goalie sam yeah let's take it to another level so let's remove some more material off the toe of your skate so we're starting with the 10 50 and then a 20 south. Oh, 10. Okay, confused. 
Show me where on the blade I get my 10, my 50, and my 27. Is 27 the back half? Correct. So basically what I'm saying is, is that stock on the back half of the skate. Correct. I'll okay. chill. We go 10 foot on the, in the front. So that's really aggressive into that toe pitch. But really what helps to, to even that out is that 50 in the middle. So basically that gives you a flat part in the middle where you can get a little bit more stability. So as you're in, say, what we'll call like a resting phase, or, you know, you're waiting and anticipating the shot. This allows you to like move onto your toe. That shot's coming, shot anticipated, and then allows you to move back into that mid portion of the skate once uh, you're onto your next play and your next movement, for example. Um, that heel, again, with being just that soft 27, you get a little bit of it there. You'll notice it, especially as you're coming out of a transition, like back onto your feet and whatnot. So that should help to stop you from fully falling back or rolling over by any means but you still have that ability to kind of rock your skate forward onto your toe and get that control that you're looking. Okay, so flatter in the middle. So I, I said 27 starts at the back or from the middle. It's actually more to the back. Do you right. roughly know where on the blade? Like 50 is what? Two thirds of the blade is 50. The front third, like right. how does that work? We're chopping into thirds on this one. So, so middle third is 50. Correct. Front third is 10. Correct. So quite rounded. Correct. And the back third is a 27 foot radius that's correct all right we'll come back and we'll check out bowers goalie ellipsis in the near future but that's a nice little quick run through i think on your basic three options of goalie profiles thanks cam thanks him woody i'm not sure i can skate well enough to uh need a profile on my blades but i can tell you not just because it helps with how you skate but you know sometimes blades get to that point they just don't want to hold an edge anymore and maybe you have to go and regrind the skates or something but one thing you can do that we did was go to the hockey shop and get them to throw a profile on there as well and when they do that blades are all tickety-boo ready to go and i know that uh, my guy when he started with a profile for the first time he said everything about his skating was better even the things you wouldn't expect you expect the edge work to be better but he said even shuffling in the crease was better because the blade was set up for where he needed his weight distributed and so on. I think, I think it's a fantastic thing to do. And if you're looking for those little details that it will help you be a better goaltender and ultimately enjoy your time on the ice more, I think uh, profiling is a bit of a no-brainer now. Yeah, talk to Cam about what you need, what your preferences are. I went with a 24-28 for my first custom profile, and I don't know that I'd ever go back. Maybe one of these days I'll try something different, but... Just that little bit of a forward pitch on the front. I wear a CCM skate, so it's a little more neutral, not as automatically forward pitch. But just, I just, I don't know. I just love the way it sets up. Uh, a little flatter on the back, a little more curve on the front. It's subtle, but you notice the difference. And that's the beauty, too. Just having new, it's a, it's a good excuse to get new steel. Because um, mine, uh, mine was worn a little down. And man, fresh set of steel, a little extra height on there. Boy, does it make a difference grabbing an edge to move across the crease. And when it's profiled, properly uh even more so so i use it to save my old steel you use it as an excuse to buy new steel but you live in the high rent district in vancouver yep me and my practice sticks now i guess i could just have practice <laughs> well it's because you save money on too. sticks you've got money that's, for new steel right yeah you're that's actually smart right. woody you're, you're more practical than i realized i'm not as stupid as i look <laughs> okay our feature interview this week is presented by sensorina as it is every week and woody they've got this promotion on that I think might make people take the jump finally. The new three by three promotion. I think it should be something like three on three because we're hitting spring season. A lot of kids get out there for a little three on three leagues, but it's a three by three promotion. And what it means is 
you get a free mount or sleeves, depending on if you're getting the player or the goalie version, because I don't know if everybody even realizes there's now a player version of Sense Arena. And you can even register an account in each if you do subscribe to Sense Arena. But you get those mounts or the little uh, sleeves that put the Oculus controllers onto your goalie gloves. You get a free 10-day trial with it to see if you really, really love it. And maybe which of the different tiers, because there's now multiple tiers of Sense Arena so that it's a little easier to get into, a little more affordable. And then you also get free shipping so that those sleeves or if you're getting the Oculus headset as well, get sent your way for, for free. And uh, and then if you want an extra little savings, use that code IGM50 in GoldMag50 and you'll save a little bit of money on top of this great deal they've got going now. So Sense Arena, now's a great time. So many seasons are wrapping up. I know a lot of leagues have already finished as playoffs are finishing. Great chance to start a new habit, whether it's three times a week or whether it's every day for 20 minutes. Get in there. Use Sense Arena. You will be a better goaltender next season when it rolls around. You will be a step ahead of the competition. Give it a go. Okay, Woody, I'm going to take the glove, the time limit off. Introduce us to our feature guest, Freddie Chabot. Oh, I already did it. I what, you no got time? it all in forty five seconds. That's that's not I'm even at a possible. Loss for words. Oh, listen. Um, there we go. Let me let me. We let's did put it. it this way. What? What do we do? We made you at a loss for words, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what? We didn't get to tell the story the first time we met Freddie at uh, Net360 camp. That's true. Um, I remember being on the ice with him, and and this is this is one that jumps out to me. Like I said, Devin Dubnik had told us for years about how good a goalie coach this guy was. And so um, after his time in Edmonton, there's a little bit of gap before he got another opportunity with the Minnesota Wild. He's with their farm team for a bit, uh, and you're seeing the results now in Minnesota as well. We all know about Mark Andre Fleury. I think since mid-December, especially his numbers have been off the charts. Uh, Philip Gustafson having a hell of a year actually leads the NHL. He just passed Linus Allmark in adjusted save percentage, so they're like one-two in the National Hockey League. So, uh, not sure what Ottawa was thinking there in terms of giving him away. Although they got some really good young goalies coming up as well, um, but just you know had the success as a coach. But the thing that jumped out to me about being on the ice with Freddie was. When we were on the ice, it what one of the drills that they were doing. It's not so much about the drills as the goalies he was doing it with, and I have it on video. And it was Chris Dreger and Laurent Brassois at the same time. Young, neither one of those guys in the NHL on a full time basis at at that point. Both now, um, and you couldn't have had two goalies that played it any different. And that's and Freddie worked with both of them to solve the same problems in different ways as he went through this drill with them. And Dreger was a guy who wanted a little backwards flow, uh, even on, on a release, like, you know, on a point shot that was going down low as sort of a fake point shot down low, he'd be backwards flowing. And I remember actually thinking to myself at the time, man, well, nobody's going to be backwards flowing on a point shot, but hello, Lena Selmark um, and the Boston Bruins. And by the way, there are a few others around the league that have subtly added that to their game this season. So there's a tease for future weeks. Um, What's old and, is new and, again. And Brassois was very much like very, you know, like point to point and just two completely different approaches in terms of depth, uh, movement, how they wanted to handle essentially the same drill. And I just loved watching and listening to Freddie Shabbat work through the pluses and minuses of how each of them played it and find a solution where they could limit the exposure from the minuses 
and make sure they accentuate the positives. And it just, to me, was a perfect example of the need to not just have things one way. And especially in that environment where you're not working with your guys, um, maybe if it was your guy and you're going to spend five years with them, you might try and make a bigger change. But just the need to sort of work with different goalies' strengths and weaknesses and not try and shove them all into the same box. And I thought he did it so well. I It was during that drill and listening back to the audio and going over the video, I was like, yeah, now I see why Devin Dubnik was, you know, said this guy was such a good coach. And we've seen that transpire uh, in Minnesota again with the success they're having there. And so I was really uh, grateful that he took some time. He's got about 40 minutes here. Uh, after getting home at five in the morning from a road trip through Vancouver and through the NHL trade deadline uh, to sit down and go not just through his career, but through his his career as a goalie coach and also as a as a goalie and see how some of those, you know, evolutions took place and what's old is new again. There are some things, as he'll tell us here, including a drill from his former goalie coach, Bernie Perrant, that he still uses today with the Minnesota Wild. So that was definitely not 45 seconds. It was definitely not 50 words. Uh, but hopefully it did justice to the kind of person and quality goalie coach that Freddie Shabbat is, and we're honored to have him on the Engel Radio podcast. Really excited to welcome to the Engel Radio podcast for the first time uh, a goalie coach that I had the pleasure of getting to meet. Oh, geez. It, I'm trying to remember how many years ago and got to watch him work on the ice and I uh, can't wait to have him share some of the insights he has from the game from a 17-year playing career. Uh, another nine now coaching in the NHL. Freddie Chabot of the Minnesota Wild now. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ingle Radio Podcast. I'm, I, I'm really excited to catch up. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was trying to think where to start, Freddie. And I wanted to, you know, obviously coaching now uh, more than a decade, six years in Edmonton, three years in Minnesota, and coaching obviously outside of the NHL as well. Uh, both privately and for teams, the natural thing is to start with where you are now. But I, I want to go back to the playing days because you had a 17-year career as a pro, including time with the Montreal Canadiens, Philadelphia Flyers, Los Angeles Kings. But more interesting to me, especially now that you're coaching, is like I look at the junior, you're in junior in 86, 87 in Drummondville, right around that time where we sort of, at least for those of us on the outside, we consider that maybe the birth of the butterfly and Francois Lair and, and sort of all this massive evolutions in goaltending. So I'm curious where you started because you've seen so much change over the year. Like if you could take me back to the playing deals, days and Freddie Chabot as a, uh, as a young goaltender as part of this evolution, like where were you on that scale? Where, where were you as a goalie as things started to change around you back in the early days? Well, I think as a as a little kid, I was really mesmerized by goaltenders, and I wanted to I wanted to play goal. I started playing out out front, and I played defenseman. And one day, one coach uh, gave me an opportunity to play goal, and, and that was it. Uh, I was a goalie from that day on, and I was more of a I wasn't big on those skate saves and stand up saves. I was more of a Tony Esposito type of goaltenders. I was not afraid of going down and using my pads and uh, and just battling for every puck. And so when I guess uh, the the birth of the butterfly you call is, uh, I think the butterfly was already there. That's just Francois Lair just made it more uh, efficient. He uh, when he came along and I had a chance to work under him for. 
from 90, uh, from 89 to 94, I believe. And that was a huge influence on my playing days and my coaching days. Okay, so you mentioned that you were at the Montreal Canadiens organization, drafted by the Devils in 86, but you end up with the, the Canadiens uh, all those years when, when you were with uh, and had a chance to, to, to work with Allaire. What was it like? You get him as a goalie coach at a time when not a lot of organizations, even in the NHL, had goalie coaches other than sort of been there, done that, guys. What was that experience like? And, I, and I'm curious, you know, you mentioned Esposito, and I think guys like me forget that there was a butterfly before Allaire. Um, so for you back in those days, like you said, more like a Tony Esposito, is that just from watching? Like, were you, was it a lot of self-teaching? What was the evolution like, uh, as a goalie when, you know, back in a day where we didn't have half a million goalie coaches working with us? Well, as a, I, I think I was age atom or peewee, uh, where I grew up, there was a guy named Guy Lapointe. He was, a he was a high school teacher and he was, uh, just passionate about goaltending. And there was a small hockey school, maybe 15 minutes from where I grew up. And uh, my parents sent me there about three, four years in a row. And we would spend the whole week in, uh, we had our own goaltenders, like dressing room where goaltenders of all ages all dressed together. He had posters on the, on the walls of goaltenders. We, he did video with us. We he would show, I don't know where he got his video, but he would show us uh, uh, like, uh, teaching on goaltenders from uh, the NHLs, from international hockey, how to make safe, how to play the game, how to train. And he, he brought a lot of stuff and he was so passionate about it. He made it very fun. So there was a, there was some coaching there. Then you just took that, whatever he gave you, and you went on with for your season and tried to duplicate what he was teaching us. And uh, in, then the next time I got coaching was uh, really specialized goaltender coaching was midget triple A in Saint-Foy. There was a guy named Jacques No who coached uh, Patrick Roy and he coached uh, Francois Gravel. And he uh, he was really, really good. And uh, both the, the like playing on the ice, but also how to prepare, how to how to read the opposition. How it was a, a big learning experience there. And from there, I, I think that was a a big like kickstart for me to play well in junior and get a, a pro uh, a pro career. Okay, so how to read how to read the game, how to read the opponent. Um, those early lessons, I think it's fair to say those are probably still important lessons today for all the focus that maybe guys like me and Ingle Magazine put on on the technical side of the game. And one of the things we try and do with Pro Reads too is, you know, try and help show kids the type of details that goalies pick out. It sounds like you got some exposure to that early on, you know, now that you're coaching and having come up through those roots, like, is there more we can do? Um, are, is there things you do with young goaltenders, even right up to the NHL to to sort of learn how to read the game better and, you know, get better at those elements that maybe we don't think of te as technical, but maybe a little more tactical and anticipation wise. Well, as on the coaching side, I think it's getting to know your goalies, how they think, what they see is conversations, uh, maybe just a couple of words between periods, see uh, how they feel, what they, how they feel about how the game is going, what the other team is doing, and what what to expect, what's coming for the next period. Just a matter of being ready and being aware makes a big difference. Is it like do you use a lot of? I guess not. Obviously not within a game and in those conversations. But is it something 
you use like do you use a lot of video to build those anticipation skills up and i guess or i guess at the nhl level it's it can be very specific to a team to an individual to a power play but in more general terms is is it something you think we can teach goalies more at younger ages even in terms of learning the skills of reading a game connecting the patterns out there yeah i think if you let's say you have a chance to coach a kid for a whole season with a team and uh, you often play the same teams over and over. You can uh, teach them how to read their position. Like some some teams, they have you know in minor hockey, there's always one, two, or three players on a team that would make the difference. So you you can if you can help your goaltender recognize the signs of how those players play, what they do well, and how to stop them. Then the uh, in the long run, they're gonna be able to do that by themselves. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen? And maybe now we're, we're getting a little more into now and the coaching, um, but you can reflect on it throughout your career in terms of the way the game is played in front of goaltenders and the demands on the position because of the nature of the attack. Like we've seen it in the last few years, a lot more east-west, a lot more dynamic. How have you seen that evolve and how have you had to ask your goaltenders to adapt to sort of counter it or be prepared for it? Well, like you say, there's a lot, lot more East-West guys will pass on really good shooting opportunity to make an extra pass, and they'll do it over and over again. So I think our goalies today have, again, like before, like like I was saying before, when I worked with Francois there, my first few days with Francois was a shock because how much skating we did. Uh, Francois just skated me to the ground pretty much. Uh, for months until uh, he got what he wanted, until I was playing the way he wanted me to play. And it was a good teaching lesson because in, in pro hockey, if you can't move, you can't play. So, and the game is so dynamic and fast. It keeps getting faster and there's more and more passing plays. So you need to be very good on your on your skates and be able to beat plays and, and your mobility on your knees is just as important. So, uh, as far as reads, you can make reads a lot better when you're able to stay on your blades and, and hold your feet as long as you can. Did that surprise you going into your first experience with, with Francois, uh, like the amount of skating that you were asked to do? And, and again, I think there maybe are some stereotypes that, that exist around Francois when we, th- we think of the butterfly and things like that. And yet your first experience is skating, skating, skating. Did it surprise you at the time? And are there still lessons there, it sounds like, that, that apply even today? Oh, it applies big time today. And uh, yeah. yeah, it did surprise me at the time and uh, the amount of work we put every day and just being able to be square and set on every shot, it demands a really uh, big workload of, of work before the shot is taken. So this mentality back then, I'm sure it still is today, was you got to work hard before the shot. He knew his goaltenders were able to make saves, but he wanted us to work really hard before the shot and after the shot to get ready for the next one. So, and it was all about skating, push and stop and being set and being square and and make the save and do it again. So it's it's the same thing today. And now that the guys are now more holding on to box and making more passes, uh, the demands is, is even higher. The way you approach that with your goaltenders, you know, we talk about being surprised by the amount of skating you did with Francois. We see a lot of kids in youth hockey these days like, hey, we all want drills with like multiple passes and dynamic movement and lots of shots. Do you think a lot of young goalies or maybe goalie parents would be surprised watching an NHL practice 
well, maybe an NHL goalie practice with you and your goalies and how much of it is still based on movements as opposed to quote unquote crazy drills with pucks flying everywhere? Yeah, if you see, I think so. Probably some some parents that maybe played a little bit would, wouldn't be that surprised, but parents that haven't played would be uh, surprised by the amount of skating a goaltender has to do. What um what what are some of your favorite ones without giving too much away? But like, you know, how do you get that mindset with your goaltenders? How much like walk me through a typical say, you know, if there's a practice in Europe with your goalies before practice for a certain amount of time, how much of that is is focused on skating and and movement? And how important, I mean, you've got a guy who's headed in the Hall of Fame in Marc-Andre Fleury, and I'm guessing he recognizes the same thing, the importance of all that movement work. Whether the, All the greats seem to. Like, again, we all want those dynamic drills, I think, as goalies, but I watch these guys work, and it's so much just movement, crease movement patterns. How much of, how much of your day is dedicated to that? Well, I make sure we warm up properly, then we'll do a one or two skating drills Uh and skating drills, the, the way I go about it, it's always has to do with what I want from my goalie and what I think is good for him. And also, what is uh, the next team we're going to play against, how they play, what they, if there's some plays that are repetitive that they do again and again. And if I can pattern my skating drill around that to get help my goalies prepare for the game, then I will do that. So it it includes post work. It includes beating the pass. It includes uh, holding the top of the crease. You know, all type of things like that. So if we if if your if every day includes a crease movement pattern, and you know there's a team, for example, that likes a play or likes to work from below the goal line, or or likes a play to a certain spot on the ice, you'll just make sure the movement patterns maybe more so than another day mimic that. Yeah. And in terms of sort of making sure that that your guys keep that work up, like is that like is that an easy ask? I guess at that level to for guys and moving patterns again, like we we think of the kids wanting something more dynamic, but at the NHL level, when guys get to that level, do they realize how important that stuff is? I think they they appreciate it because they know it's useful. It's help helps them get prepared for what's in front of them. Uh, and as you know, we don't practice very much, uh, in right. the second half of the year, we don't practice. So any five minutes you can grab and do some work or, or some five, sometimes you have a luxury of having 10 minutes, uh, maybe before or after practice, and you can focus on basic stuff like that. You grab it and you use it. Uh, you don't want to waste time because we don't practice much. Um, you've got a guy who, like I said, is headed to the you know Hockey Hall of Fame and Mark Andre Fleury. You talked about the importance of movement, not just on your skates, but also from the knees. I would argue he might be a guy that you know changed the game a little bit in terms of just how explosive and dynamic he was from his knees. Some of his recovery um, mechanics and and the speed and the power with which he did it. What's it been like working with him in terms of a guy who's who's got so much experience and yet? I remember when he was in Chicago telling me that he added overlap because he liked how Kevin Lankinen did it. Like, is he a guy that's still, you know, willing and eager to try new things even after all these years? Yeah, Mark Andre is always, like, like you said before, the, the best one, the top ones, they're always trying to get better. It doesn't matter how old they are. They, they're always trying to find an edge to, to get better at how they stop the puck, how they skate, how they move, how they use the pose. And uh, so we're always looking at ways to improve and uh, finding what works and what uh, what we can do better. You've got another top goalie there in, in Philip Gustafson having a heck of a year. How much interplay is there between the two? Um, you know, I just talked about Fleury 
you know, even well into his career, wanting to learn from the other guy. Do you see them feeding off each other and learning from each other? And are there times in your coaching career we will see some goalies mimic the guy they play with, even not on purpose? Like they just pick up habits. Have are there times where you've had to maybe even be worried about that or cognizant of it because there might be something that a goalie picks up from his playing partner, but it might not suit his game. Yeah, that happens all the time. Uh, I, one year I played in Hershey and my uh, my partner was a young goalie for the Flyers organization. His name was Scott Legrand. And okay. he was a tall and skinny kid. He had a really upright stance. And I played uh, more of a game really low and it's, Resemble a little bit how uh, Mark Andre stands sometimes, really low and explosive. Uh, but at 5'10, sometimes I was thinking, man, I should find a way to play a little bigger. But as the season went on, I, I caught myself starting to do things that Scotty was doing. And uh, that was helpful for me in that season. I had a really good season and realized I was maybe standing a little higher in my upper body and making myself bigger. And and it helped me. But there were some years where I would, on purpose, try not to watch the guy at the other end because the way he played didn't work for me. So it was if you you don't even realize you're always watching the other guy, you you start doing some of the things he does. But like you said, it doesn't. It's not always uh, helpful. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Is that like is that common? I, I've always wondered actually, and I, I kind of assumed, and I've I've seen a few examples here over the years, but. It, is that just a natural thing when you watch a guy day in, day out over the course of a season to like to start to imitate some of those habits without even thinking about it sometimes? Yeah, there's always an influence. It's, it's just in front of you all the time. So if there's something you see the other guy having success doing a certain thing on a, on a game situation, you, you start trying it for fun, then uh, it may leak into your game. And sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's like, okay, it works for him, but this is not for me. What uh, what are so like? Is there? I mean, without giving too way too much away, what makes in in the in? And I know it's just this season and the end of last season that you you've had this direct work with him. But what is it that allows Mark Andre to still have the success he has at 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 this age and this far into his career and to still play at such a high level? Well, first is the person he is. He's a fantastic human being. He's uh, he's really hungry. He's a team guy. The way he practices and competes every day is a fantastic example for Philip uh, this year, and uh, for anyone who plays with him, he makes practice fun. Uh, but I think it's just his uh, basic physical abilities to 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 play the game, to read the game, and and his amazing uh, skills like. He, how fast he is, how, how explosive he is. He does a lot of things he can do that very few guys can do when they're 20 years old. The fun part, it's something we've written about over the years. I remember watching him still play last puck, even if he was starting before a game. Do we discount that sometimes too much? Like, like just how much fun he has? It seems to be a foundation for him. I guess when this game becomes a job for some guys and maybe for some guys at too early an age and they lose that, like, is it important? I know it is for him. Do you think it's important for more guys to somehow remember to, that, that it is still supposed to be fun out there? Their value in that? Oh, there's a huge value in that. But, it, you know, there's some days, uh, depending on what's going on, that it's hard to have fun. So uh, some days you just, you, 
you're having fun, but you're just not being silly. You're just working. You're really, really hard. And there's some days that you got to put in the work. And and when the practice is over, then you feel good about it. And you said, well, it was hard, but it was fun. And uh, but also Marc-Andre brings a, a smile on the ice and his attitude. And uh, most of the time he's got a huge smile and he's teasing the guys on every shot. And he's, uh, he's having a good time out there. The way the game's changed and with your experience from the playing days, um, you know, we talked about your experience in the Montreal organization, but there, even when you were with Montreal and played some games with Montreal, there were trips back and forth to the American Hockey League. There was a stint in the IHL, a few games even in the ECHL. I'm guessing you would have had different voices, different coaches over the years. It's something we've talked to goalies about, like sometimes when even in the same organization, the goalie coach can change at multiple levels. Learning to manage different people with different opinions on your game as a goalie, has that helped serve you as a goalie coach in any way? Like, Did you go through that at times where you went from one team to the other and you're thinking, okay, this guy wants me to do something different. I'm not sure it works for me, but if I don't try it, he's the guy that controls whether I play. Like, is there, Did you have experiences like that as a goalie when you were playing? And how has that maybe influenced what you do now running a goalie department and working in a goalie department and coaching in the National Hockey League and working with, say, a Richard Bachman as, as, as your guy in the development and American League side? Yeah, well, I think the message within the organization has to be linear. So what the goaltender in the American League hears is going to be the same thing he hears in the NHL. There may be a few little details that are not the same, but the basics have to be the same. Uh, during my career, I was lucky enough to have uh, a, a few really good go- goalie coach. Uh, there's a f- but sometimes it's not just the goalie. It's the head coach or an assistant coach. Uh, uh, it's The relationships are, are a big part of every season. And uh, when most of the time, there's a lot of good people in hockey. Uh, you they find a way to guide you as a player and help you and once in a while you get a relationship that doesn't work then you got to find a way to work through it and find a way to do your job even though the the relationship with the coach or assistant coach is not great were there some influences like you met we've obviously talked about francois as the natural sort of jumping off point because you started in the montreal organization but some of those other influences some of those other voices that helped you along the way that did that maybe still impact you today as a coach and how you approach it when i was a little stint with the flyers it was uh i had bernie Perrin as a goalie coach he uh he made me laugh because he didn't really want to be there he, <laughs> he came to the ring because they kind of forced him to come and uh so he came and he came on the ice and there's a couple of drills i did with him that i still do today with my goalies really and he's his message was simple and it was uh it was fun it was challenging but it was simple and easy to uh to put into my game into my the way i, I practice the way I, I i deal with certain plays and it was uh it was fun and i was like man i wish if you would love to do that job he would be uh, even better at it but he was a really good individual fun to be around and uh Working with him, just a little that I was with him, I really enjoyed it. Uh, also, my second stint with Montreal, I had Roly Melanson, and he was really good for me. I played well under him, and I had the chance to be coached by Billy Smith also in uh, when I was in the uh, Florida organization. 
And that was fun. That was very different, but it was fun. A lot. I mean, those are three extreme examples. Maybe extreme is not the word, but I mean, we just had a goalie on from from the Canucks organization who had Billy as his goalie coach in the Ontario Hockey League. And and a lot of the things he talked about were just things like controlling shots and using your stick, maybe using your stick in other ways too, which was something Billy was really good at. But Roly, I think of Roly being more technical. And then, as you said, Bernie, I, I mean, I'm a little, again, probably ignorant on my part, but I'm surprised to hear you say there were drills then that you still use today. If it's not giving too much away, can you give me an example of one of those and, and where the, the value that you saw, you know, back then in 93, 94 still applies in 2023? You know, that's a pretty large time gap. So the fact you're still using those drills, is there anything you can share without giving too much away? Maybe one example there. Oh, it's a very simple drill. Uh, you had two players with the pucks on the dots. Right. And uh, there was a pass from dot to dot. He wanted me to beat it on my feet. So, and the guy caught it and shot as quick as he could. He, he, was, he was even allowed to one-time it. Uh, after we did it for a while, he let the guys one-time it. So I was just trying to beat the pass on my feet. And then you realize, okay, depending how good the pass is, uh, you either need to go to the post. And if the pass is slow or medium speed, then I, I can get to the top of the crease. So you have to make that read and try to beat that pass on your feet. Then you, after a while, when the goalie gets good at it, you can add the player that catches the pass while staying on the dot. He's allowed to pass it back to the uh, the guy that started the drill that's kind of, kind of creeping in back door. So now you got to beat the first pass and you have to be aware that if he passes it back, then you need to uh, you need to slide back to the post and try to beat the pass again. So simple. it's challenging, simple, and it's fun. And and sort of going back to right back to what you talked about with Alaire, skating, beating it yeah. up, beat beating passes on your feet and being able to make subtle reads within that. Uh it reminds me a little bit of sort of, you know, one of the philosophies I heard actually was Devin Dubnik, who used to, you know, when he had you in Edmonton, I know I remember he used to rave about his work with you. And I know he was happy when he went to Minnesota when he was there. Um, one of the things that he cued in on, like, if I can't beat the pass on my feet, it probably means I'm too far out. Yeah, well, I think when he worked with uh, with Sean, with Sean, he uh, he put that even more into play while staying a little deeper. Uh, but yeah, that was but, but a similar philosophy, a similar mindset. Yeah, I did a lot of skating with Devin. I thought for a big guy, he was he had very good mobility. You just had to improve it and simplify it, and he was. Uh, I love working with him. What was it about Roly that you love? Because I, I got a chance to watch Roly work here in Vancouver with the Canucks under Alain Vigneault for a lot of years and was a big fan of his work. I know he had some hard and firm rules by the time he got here in terms of always being in the blue ice. Like, Are there elements you can share that you learned from your time with uh, Melanson in uh, Montreal that, that maybe still apply to, to you today too? Because I'm guessing much like goalies take pieces from everyone over the years to build into their game. Is it the same as a goalie coach? Yeah, I think it's the same. You you improve as you go. And I think when I worked with Roly, he uh, he was early in his coaching career and he had work under Francois Allaire a, a few years before he retired. And uh, so I think some of his mentality, the way he was coaching, the way he was making us work on the ice resemble what Francois was doing. 
So it, it fit with me right away. And first, he, he was a fun guy to work with. And uh, what he told me at the time, I was coming back from the IHL where I was doing really well. And he said, he said, he wasn't happy how I was moving. He said, you're, you're stopping the puck, but he said, you're slow. I was like, I'm slow. He said, yeah, you're slow. You're late on everything. So I said, okay. And I, we put in the work. And uh, maybe 10 days after that, I started seeing the benefits. And two weeks after that, I was like, wow, okay, I see the difference now. And you're well along in your career at that point. Like you said, you're coming off a couple seasons in the IHL where you're like 920, 916, having a lot of success. Is it is there a good lesson there for goalies of all ages to keep yeah, an open well, to keep an open mind and and not be like hey I'm I'm what I'm doing is good enough why you want to change me Well the uh, that's a message I give pretty much all goalies uh you got to work on your skating all the time and the older you get the more you got to work at it because you don't realize it, but you that's one thing you lose you don't lose your hockey sense you don't lose your ability to catch a puck or make a save but you will lose your skating so you got to work at it. Have you seen changes? Like, it's funny because we think of, actually, I don't even know how I would define skating and goalie skating. Like, but we've seen sort of some of the the way coaches look at the efficiencies there evolve over the years. And yet there are still things that, you know, haven't changed in terms of, you know, uh, emphasis points. Have you, what have you seen change? In sort of, when you think of what a good skater is, has it changed that much from when you played to now in terms of goaltending? Is it all about beating that pass and being set regardless of how you do it? Or, or have you seen more of a breakdown in how goalies move? Like, you know, for some coaches, they analyze it almost like a golf swing, like slow, slow, slow in terms of making sure we get to maximum efficiency. How, how have you seen that evolve over, even over the last decade? Well, it hasn't changed much. Uh, skating, skating, uh, fitness has a lot to do with it. And some natural ability. Some guys are naturally better. But if you work at it, you'll be good at it. I think uh, what we see a little more, I teach a little more shuffle than I used to. Uh, I'll, I'll be more open as working edges. Uh, like the old days, like I did as a little kid. I think it's coming back. We did. You, we used to do edge work, uh, outside edge, inside edge. Uh, we're getting back to that. I think it's good for the goalies. They need it because how fast the game is. But yeah, maybe a little more shuffle, uh, but still beating the pass with a T-push, it's number one on my list. So shuffles just because the game's become so dynamic east-west and often east-west and back the other way, uh, does the shuffle just allow you to not have that open and close of a T-push so you sort of maintain the ability to go back and forth a little bit? Is that where the, we see the benefits of it? Well, I don't... I don't think I will ever like the long shuffles. Okay. Uh, so I think it's uh, detriment, detrimental to any goalie's game. We need, you need, a goalie needs to be able to use shuffle, but in the proper way, a small shuffles when a player carries the puck or, uh, you know, on a short pass, uh, you don't need to open up for a T push. If you're, if you're fit and strong enough and a good skater, you can beat it with a shuffle. But the kind of, uh, I've seen a little bit of that where guys kind of, shuffle and shift into a save I, I think it long term it creates problems uh you want to be set and square that, and that's something that's never changed has it like as much as the game evolves and we get vh and reverse vh and overlap and at the end of the day the principle is being set and square on a shooter yeah well all the post work i think came along because of the size of the goalies today yeah uh 
It was a lot easier for a 5'10 guy like me to work with the post than a guy who's 6'2 or 6'4. So, yeah, all the, the work with the post now, to me, it's all has to do with size. From a playing career standpoint, I wanted to ask you a little bit, like, yeah, after that year in Montreal, you went back to the IHL with Houston for two more years, and then you went overseas um, and had a ton of success in the DEL, posted some, frankly, gaudy numbers over there, um, and, and spent, you know, looks like five, six years over there towards the end of your career. At about the time when I think the VH came in, so I got two parts here. One, any lessons that you learned over there that were different? Like, were, I mean, obviously the size of the rink, maybe not the game and style of game was different. I'm not sure if in the DEL, it might have been a little more North American style. Um, but in Austria, I think of it as maybe a little more East-West. Were there differences there that influenced you in your coaching career today? And where were you in that evolution of post play? Because I'm thinking right towards the end of your career, that's where we started to see a lot of sort of VH, one knee down stuff. Um, was that something you had to integrate you know, in your career in those final years? Well, I'm, at that point, I didn't really get any coaching. Uh, okay. I was pretty much coaching myself. So I learned the VH by watching guys do it and trying okay. to copy it. Uh, I wasn't really good at it. I didn't I think somehow I was comfortable doing it on my blocker side. I think most guys today prefer doing it on their glove side. Uh, on my glove side, I remember the last few years I played, I was always tweaking with it, and I was starting to go what you call a reverse VH now. I was starting to go down early on my knees because I just wanted to seal the ice, and uh, I didn't like the VH. I felt a lost doing it. So, uh, yeah, I was trying to to teach myself some new stuff and find solutions, but the VH, I was... I wish I had someone to teach it to me properly. I probably would have used it a lot, but I didn't use it that much. Is there value there too? Like maybe from the, you know, you mentioned, talk about late in the career, um, whether you learned something in Europe. I mean, even the fact you didn't have a goalie coach there, do we need kids to be their own goalie coach more, much like you had to be in Europe as much as, you know, even at very young ages, they have influences and voices and people that can help them. And that's all positive. Do goalies need to learn to manage their own game these days, you know, like you had to in those years? Well, I think it's even if you're a head coach or an assistant coach, you don't have to be a goalie coach with young kids. It's just by uh, having conversation about the game and asking them what they see, how they felt, and uh, uh, asking them questions, would they do something different? And just by conversation with the, with the young kids, uh, no matter their age, if they're 15, 12, or 9 years old, they they play the game they have fun they i'm sure they make reads and uh and you, you got to talk with them so they can learn to how to use those reads they make and how to think the game is that like does that a big part of your conversation with your guys right up to your level like is it it sounds like when you're having these conversations Freddie, it's it, it really is a conversation it's not you going to them and saying hey you got to do this as much as it is trying to understand the thought process of why they did it their way well, it depends how old the goalie is. If I, right. I'm working with the younger guys as a pro, I'll be more direct and demanding. And the older the guy gets, or the, the longer I've been working with him, he'll be more. I'll be more asking questions. I want them to talk. I want them to find solutions. Uh, players have have to be empowered on the ice. Uh, like when the uh, let's say a goalie goes out to play the puck and the, the exchange with his D. If it doesn't go right, uh, I appreciate when I see them talking about it right away and finding solutions. They they have to do that by themselves. 
you've uh, the success you guys are having this year, um, right down to the minor leagues too. You've got a, a young goaltender uh, in Jesper Wallstead coming up. How does your approach have to differ, say, with a guy coming over for the first time? And I know you've got Richard Bachman in the American League working with you, with, with Jesper more directly. But how does your how does your approach have to differ when it's a guy coming over for the first time and and learning the league and learning those types of things versus, say, a Mark Andre Fleury who's been doing it for over twenty years, and and even a Philip Gustafson who's still relatively young in his career? How does how do you have to sort of alter things to the individuals based on experience? Well, a guy like Jesper, I think my message to Richard was that I let him play his game and see, uh, and let's make adjustment as we go. But there's some basic stuff that you still got to make him work hard uh, every day and work on his skating, like we said before. Right. And we're making sure we clean up the post play and he adju- how to adjust to the game here. So by watching him now here, how he plays the game and how to play game he's played in America, uh, he's made some adjustment already. And he's going to have to keep making those adjustments as he grows older. And for a guy, it's funny because when I asked Flower about Philip when you guys were in town recently, the first thing he talked about, because you mentioned post play with Jesper, the first thing he talked about w- with Philip was how good his post play was. And he mentioned, you know, Swedish goalies. And, and I think he mentioned Linda Blumquist and, and reverse VH and, and some of the things that Philip seems really good at. I guess just because Jesper comes from Sweden doesn't mean those details are all dialed in at the exact same level as Fleury seemed to think Phillips were. Yeah, well, there's a difference in age. Uh, when Jesper started the season, he's 19. Right. When Phillips comes to us, he's 24. Uh, he's got a, a few thousand hours of work ahead of, of him. So, yeah, maybe the post plays a little cleaner. And, uh, you know, we all uh, we all have our strength and our weaknesses. And, uh Philip's post plays. Uh, he's elite. He's very good at it. He's calm. He can he can go in and out of it uh, very fi- efficiently, and he can come out of it and battle too, which is uh, really nice to see. Okay, I got one more for you here because I've taken up too much of your time, which is a bad habit of mine, Freddie. But I got to ask you now, coaching, going back to your playing days, what do you think when you look at the equipment these days, like compare it to what you started in? I guess it probably looks seamless, but if you were to compare it to what you were playing in, like the way the, how much do you think the evolution of the equipment has played a role in the way these guys are able to play today and in the way you're able to coach? Well, the equipment today is awesome. Uh, I, I think when I started playing pro or in junior or midget, it was more a question of survival. Right. Uh, like even before midget, the, the equipment we had, uh, you you get you had bruises all the time on your knees, on your shoulders, on your arms, on your ribs, and uh, getting into midget hockey or junior, the equipment got a little bit better as far as protection, but you're still getting hurt. Uh, and and I became a pro. I started learning how to uh, how to you know there's some there were some kind of equipment that were better than other, how to pick equipment and what works for me and how to, how to uh, sometimes improve the equipment I was wearing. And uh, But now today, the gear is absolutely awesome. It's light. It dries fast. Uh, the pads, the way they slide on the ice and seal the ice, it's really nice to see. Uh, the knee pads are fantastic. <laughs> They're like the, the amount of bruise we, I had on my knees was just ridiculous. Is that from shots or from just just simply dropping to the ice? Because oh, there were there were shots. no. Oh, okay, okay. Shots, yeah. 
and uh yeah and the shoulder pads too like the few years ago they made changes made them smaller and guys were starting to get hurt again i was like well welcome to my days <laughs> and uh and but now it is they fix those issues and the 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 equipment is the size that the league wants it and the, the guys feel protected that they won't get hurt so for you like last one like we i think for a lot of this generation like they don't understand that the fear factor everybody used to say goalies are crazy and i'm not even sure that this generation understands that because the the fear the fear factor was real back then wasn't it like maybe fear is the wrong word but like the pain factor was real you had to be willing to feel that puck to be a goalie when you were growing up Oh, yeah. Well, you get hit or somewhere it hurt. You just, you know, suck it up for, <laughs> for, for maybe 30 seconds or a minute. Then and you just keep going. And then after practice, you get a nice big bruise and uh, you hope not to get hit on the same spot the next day. It's definitely changed a lot. I don't think they I mean, the shots have gotten a lot harder, but I don't think any of these guys are feeling pucks that much that often anymore. No, yeah, but you're right. The, the sticks today, it's just incredible how hard the, the shots come, how, how good the kids all, all shoot. The hand skills I see watching the games now, like players can pick pucks out of the air uh, almost on every play. They either cut a pass or they bat one. Uh, offensively, they make an offensive play or defensive play. And, and just amazing, the, the, the hand skills. And uh, I was part of the transition when they went from the aluminum stick to the two-piece stick to the one-piece. And before, they would, you would have two, three, four players that could really shoot that you worried about in practice. And then the next year, it was everybody, you know? So it was, uh, you didn't worry about the the guys on the third or the fourth line about them getting hurting you with a shot, except if they lost one and it hit you high. But there was two or three players that could really shoot it, and now, now it was everybody. So we had to watch everybody. It was, uh, it was worrisome at first. I, well, and now it's just worrisome because they're also, as you said, so incredibly skilled. But I guess, I guess that's the job, right? That's that's that that's up to us now on the goalie side to figure out how to how to prevent or how to do our best to limit what those guys can do with all those skills. Yeah, and. Uh... Sometimes I'm just I watch the games and you know, our goalies or the other team goalies and the, what the goalies do today is just amazing. It's fantastic to watch. When I was a little kid, I, we had the Montreal Canadiens on TV every Saturday night. And uh, when I got a little older, I got smart enough to tweak the TV so I could have the uh, CBC in English and watch the Maple Leafs. They had Mike Palmetier, and that was really entertaining. And now watching the goalies, I'm like, wow, the young kids watching that, they must be really entertained. It is. It is. I think we lose perspective of that there's so much focus on the media side on goal scoring or this and that and scoring trends. At the end of the day, whether it's the goal scorers or the goalies, the talent level has never been better. And it's really fun to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Like even last night was a very tight uh, defensive game in Calgary. And there was still some really nice hockey plays uh, made in that, that game. There was some big saves and there was some. Uh, some big hits, and uh, there was a, a few goals. Well, none on your guy, so congratulations to him on that, and it's been a trend we've seen of late. Congratulations to you and the Wild on a good season so far, and we hope you guys continue going. Uh, I love watching both your guys. Always been a fan of watching Flower, but also with Philip Gustafson, and can't wait to watch Jesper coming up. Freddie, I thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I know our audience is going to really enjoy this interview. 
Uh, and I can't thank you enough. I'm in a busy schedule with lots of travel and getting home at five in the morning for taking the time to talk with us here at Ingoal Magazine Podcast. Well, you're welcome. You guys do a great job and uh, thanks for taking the time. When I work with goaltenders, I always reinforce using practice as a time to work on things like holding your edges because if the puck goes in the net in practice, I don't care. Take a chance. Stay on your edges at a time that maybe you'd be sliding normally. Use practice to experiment and see and learn your reads so that you know when you can and when you can't hold your edges. But here he's just got such a simple way of letting guys figure it out for themselves because those are two very common marks on the ice that he's using in that drill. If they work to hold their edges in those spots, I think you can probably evolve that drill a little bit, maybe bring the guys in a little bit, maybe move them out a little bit, let the goalie experiment. But there's such a just a nice, clean, crisp way of working on holding holding your edges. So just love that one. Uh, I think the goaltenders from the Nanaimo Clippers will be seeing that one in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I've mentioned it to my kid too, so maybe he'll bring it to one of his practices. So I think we also need to fund an in-goal radio, in-goal magazine trip to Minnesota just so we can watch Freddie do that. Oh, Freddie, we're with, coming. Uh, Mar- Marc-Andre Fleury and, and uh, Philip Gustafson because uh, I got a couple minutes with Flower and he was here, but it's never enough time. So uh, road trip is definitely in the works here because, I, like I said, I loved watching Freddie work in Kelowna and you can see the quality of his work and the effect it's having at the National Hockey League level with, again, like like two totally different goaltenders with two totally different, one guy at the beginning of his career, another guy who I, I almost said at the end of his career, but that's not fair because Flowers playing so well, he could keep playing for a long time, but a guy with so much experience and, you know, that ability to thread that needle with each of them, uh, I'm not surprised that, that Freddie has, uh, has been able to do that. Well, you're describing the art of coaching and not just the science, and you're describing a master coach because he is a person who does not need to get out on the ice and convince the other goaltenders that he's the most intelligent person on the ice and you better do it his way. He's uh, got a humility to him, and I think that makes him a great coach. Well, we heard him talk about it, right? Getting to know your goaltenders. Uh, you know, as much as I was trying to dig for specifics, like so much of it is just getting to know them as individuals rather than dictating to them um, based on your experiences exclusively yeah and but there's other coaches that that might be lip service yeah i want to get to know know them as individuals but then they get on the ice and they tell them here's the way you have to do it and and i think that was getting to know them with a purpose which i think makes makes a lot of sense well speaking of getting to know goalies okay i may be a little premature with this tease because we haven't set up the time but some point in the next couple of episodes we are going to have Andy Sport on, Swedish goalie sports psychologist with dozens of clients, professional goaltenders in Europe, and I believe in the NHL. I know for sure some that have been in the NHL. Um, didn't get his client list off the top, but I spent an hour with him just prepping for this interview, and I'm really excited when we get to bring it to you because it's, it, it's not just psychology from a here's tips for goaltenders. He digs into the actual personality profile of each individual one to understand how they react to the different stresses of the position, does stress tests with them so they understand how their body reacts to it, and then builds out programs from there. A guy who we had a few goaltenders reach out to us about, and they all say, they can all be different personalities, and they all say the same thing, Andy knows me best. 
or like no one else does. That's what makes him so special. And it kind of reminded me as you were talking about Freddie getting to know his goaltenders. This guy has a an art and a science to getting to know goaltenders and then helping them be better goaltenders between the years. So I we sort of did a pre-interview, get to know each other, and I learned so much in that hour. I cannot wait till we have the final one set up and bring it to our listeners here on the In Goal Radio podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. Can't wait. I think uh, there's there's so much to learn for all of us in that area, and it's uh, such an important part of the game. Woody, over at Ingle right now, it kind of feels like it's Boston Bruins week. Yeah, you know, and hey, listen, we're not going to apologize. Um, oh, we are, no, however, celebrate it. Celebrate it. You got well, the best goaltender we, in the league right now. 100%, but we don't want to feel like we're like, I, I, sometimes, you know, you get that and you're like, oh, look at us. We got Lena Selmark. So come subscribe because we got Lena Selmark. I just want to thank Lena Selmark for the time and Jeremy Swayman too. Yep. The time he gave to us when he came through Vancouver. Um, very gracious with it. Sat down, did pro reads for 25 minutes after a practice. This is a beautiful city with beautiful places to go and eat. And he still had time to sit down and do it. So thank you to him. And yeah, we, we are proud that we got this content. It's amazing content. Um, and there's lots more like it coming. So make sure you subscribe uh, to the InGoal premium product at InGoalMag.com. Uh, three articles up and lots more coming. But what I loved about the pro reads with Linus Allmark is he got you. Because you know Woody is famous at every the end of every interview for one more question. I which usually turns into Freddy. two, usually turns into three. And with Linus Allmark, if you got to hear the entire recording, which you won't because I'm just cutting out the individual pro reads, near the end, there's a little knock on the door. Uh, guys, this dressing room is needed for a group that's coming in right now. Kevin apologizes, says, we're on the last one. He finishes it. Okay, Linus, that's great. Really appreciate all the time. And Linus, no, no, one more, Woody. Let's go. Give me another one. So he sort of one more questioned you, and that told me how much he enjoyed sharing his knowledge. And I, I love these pro reads. I think there's a lot there, and I think he looks at things in, in a great way, and I'm thankful that he's sharing his knowledge with all of us. Yeah, and um, I gave him a ride back to the hotel after we finished because obviously the team bus was long gone. And he feels like it's his way of giving back to the goalie community. Like, he's not doing it just for us at Ingle. He's doing it because he sees that as a... Like, he said it to me. This is my opportunity to give back to the goalie community. And I know our audience at IngleMag.com appreciates that. Where else Where else can you sit in on a video session with with one of the best goalies in the game and have him walk you through your reads? And it's not possible unless guys like Linus and Thatcher Demko and Yaroslav Halak and hopefully coming up soon, Jeremy Swayman and Carter Hart and all these guys that have agreed to do it with us. Um, It's not possible unless they also see the value in it and they see, you know, that give back as being something they want to be a part of. So thank you to all those guys, all the guys that have done it with us in the past. It means a lot to our audience. It means a lot to us. I think it means a lot to the goaltending community and we're proud to bring it to you. 100%. 100%. I know my son loves to sit down and binge on the pro reads. He's he's not so big on reading all your writing, Woody, even though it's brilliantly crafted, but he goes straight to that that final pro read video on each of the uh, articles and just, just watches them and he picks stuff up from the guys. I think it's fantastic. Well, I wouldn't read my stuff either. Just go straight. It's a good reminder, though. You can go straight to the video. You, we do a preamble there where we show you a freeze frame. Because we want the young goalies to think about, okay, what information am I looking for? What are my cues as to how I should play this? Before the NHL goalie tells you his answers, we're just trying to prime you almost like 
Like, this is something I got from you, just being a little bit of a teacher, trying to make it a lesson. So if you want to read and go through that, great. But if you don't, you just want to hear what the NHL guy has to say, I don't blame you. Straight to the video at the end. I think you even put a link on each one. Just take I me do, to yeah. the video at the top, and it jumps you right down to the bottom. But if you've watched 50 or 100 of these or whatever number you might have been through, I think you're going to find that exercise really interesting, and you will start picking up the things that these NHL goalies pick up. Hey, I had a... Nah, you know what? We've got a tip for how you can put some of this stuff into place, but we'll save it for a future article at Ingle. I'm not going to give it away just yet. All right. That's what we call a tease in the business. See, we didn't need Darren. Give him the day off. Hutch has got a tease. Professional <laughs> at its best. Okay, Woody. I think they probably had enough of us. So our thanks. I've had enough of us. To the hockey shop source for sports, Langley. Our thanks to Sensorina VR Trading for goaltenders. And of course, our thanks to you wherever you're listening. On behalf of Darren Millard and Kevin Woodley, I'm David Hutchison wishing you another great week in goal.